Precious Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you so much that in it we see, among many other things, we see that you are good. We thank you, precious Lord, that indeed you have revealed this not only in your character, but in all that you have done. And as we see it in all the good gifts that you give, we pray that we would see it in your Son and that we would see it in your Spirit. We pray that your blessed Spirit would give us eyes to see, eyes to behold wondrous things in your law, as the psalmist says, and that we, O oh Lord God, might have our hearts stirred up, challenged, encouraged, and convicted, and that we might give you all the praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, verse 1, James 1, starting at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the holy word of our God. Well, we'll be looking at, as I said, verses 17 and verse 18. And last time we looked at uh, the number of verses before, from verse 13 to verse 16. And we saw um, a time of tempting, a time of tempting and the source of temptation. And we learned that the source of temptation isn't God. And so we cannot blame God for our temptations to sin. He tests us, that is true, and may lead us into times of tempting, but he himself does not tempt us because he is holy, he is unstained by sin, but rather the source of temptation is our own sinful desires and lusts. The real source is ourselves. We're to blame our own sinful desires. And then in verse 15, we saw the offspring of temptation. Right? If, if our sinful desires are left unchecked and we don't put those sinful desires to death by the Holy Spirit, that sinful, those sinful lusts and desires lead to sinful actions. And eventually, left unchecked, those sinful actions will result in death. Both not only physical, but spiritual, eternal death. And then in verse 16, we have a, a kind of a connecting verse. Verse 16, don't be deceived, he says, James says. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Don't be deceived in blaming God for your temptation to sin. Don't blame God for your sin. And don't, to, don't be deceived into thinking too lightly of your sin and not putting your sin to death. 
But also verse 16 refers to what follows in verse 17. Because here we have a deception where, again, we can be deceived into thinking the wrong thing about God. And verse 17, if you like, and verse 18, but particularly verse 17, corrects this false view about God. It corrects this false view that God is to be blamed for our sin. But no, verse 17 says the opposite. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. And that's what we're going to see. That indeed, our sinful desires eventually lead to death. But God brings life. God brings life. And that's what we'll see as one of the good things in verse 18. But what are some of the greatest gifts you've ever received? What are some of the greatest gifts that you've ever had that are given to you? And you can have a think now in your head. What are some things that you, that, you know, as you think back on your years, whether they're short or long, have a think, what are some of the things that have impacted you the most? What are some of the things you've appreciated the most? Because we're going to see some things, even as, as we saw in the children's talk and as we'll see from our passage again, do they line up? And they don't have to. God gives us many good things. But we should always be thanking God for sometimes the things that we don't think of first. But as we look at our passage, we'll have two points today. Verse 17, God is the giver of all good. And verse 18, God the giver of spiritual life. Verse 17, God the giver of all good. And verse 18, God the giver of spiritual life. Have a look with me. Verse 17 again. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. That phrase there, every good and perfect gift, there's actually, in the Greek, there are two words for gift there. And you only see one here in the, in the English, but there's actually two words for gift. And one of those words speaks about the act of giving, and the other word speaks of the actual gift given. And so both of these words are used by James and maybe translated every good gift and every perfect gift or every good thing given and every perfect gift comes down from above. Now, why do I bring that out? Because both when, when there's a giving of a gift, it's both the act of giving and the actual gift that go into the gift. There's a desire on the part of the pers person giving and there's actually the gift that is given. Now, we often have gifts that are given to us, right? and there's a good desire by the people who give to us, and there's a good gift. But sometimes there are bad desires and a good gift. When someone maybe gives grudgingly something to us, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe they, they have a good desire, but they really don't know us, and they give us a pretty shocking gift. Or a child maybe gives you something that you don't necessarily want, but they have a desire, right, to give you something that's good. There's a well-intentioned desire, but a bad gift. Or a good desire, hang on, or a bad desire and a good gift. But the reason I bring this out is because in God, there's both a perfect desire, a good desire in giving, but also a good and perfect gift that he gives to us. And so God is not stingy. He's not partial. We already saw that back when, when it talks about God giving wisdom to us. He's not stingy or, or partial. He doesn't give grudgingly to us. But also the gifts that he gives us are good. It's not that God loves us and has no idea what's good for us. But no, God knows all things and he knows us perfectly. He knows what's good for us. But also he delights to give us good gifts. Have a look at the words there. From above. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down. From above. It's pretty obvious where this is coming from. Right? Every good thing that you get here on this earth is ultimately from above. From above was, means heaven. John 3. In John 3 verse 27. John the Baptist said, he answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. He who comes from above is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. So here we have this, you could, you could translate it as comes down from, instead of above, comes down from heaven. Comes down from the hand of God. 
And if you're a parent here and a child is, uh, that you have is, is really short, sometimes you have to reach down to give them a gift. And that's the idea expressed here. It comes down from above. God graciously hands down His good and perfect gifts to us. Now, what are these good gifts and these perfect gifts from God? Well, many, many, many things, whether it's in creation, whether it's in God's providence as He orders all things and upholds all things and directs all things according to His purposes, or or in salvation. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's times of rest. Maybe it's being able to gather here as God's people and worship our great and awesome God together. Whatever it is, all of it comes from God. All of it comes from above. It comes down from God. All of it comes from Him. Or maybe things of salvation, whether it's forgiveness of sins, whether it's your very faith itself. Ephesians 2 says, it's a gift of God so that no man should boast. All is from God, even the times of testing, as we saw in our earlier verses in James 1. Our times of testing are good gifts from God. It doesn't mean the testing itself is good in the sense of trials are good. No, they can hurt. They can be bad. But they're good for us. They're good for us. And God works them for our goods. Now, though there may be earthly processes and secondary causes to everything... So, for example, a good thing may be a kind word from a friend. Or maybe a good thing is that you avoid an accident on the way to church. Right? And a secondary, a normal process would be you hit the brake. Or maybe it's the kind word, it comes from the heart of your friend. And so there are are good and, and necessary secondary causes that we have. And yet, in whatever it is, whether it's the heart of a friend giving you that kind word out of their mouth, or whether it's you hitting the brake and avoiding that accident, all of it's from God, ultimately. All of it's from God, ultimately. And that's why we thank God. When we hit the brake and avoid any miss, we thank God. Do we not? Well, we should. When a friend encourages us and we come away and we thank God. Right When a friend opens to us the Word of God and, and encourages us from a verse or passage of the Word of God, we thank God for them. When God um, brings the little light's um, certificate of capacity and everything else to bear, there have been many processes and hard work that's put in by many people, and we praise God for them. But we give the praise and glory to God, because God is the source of every good and every perfect gift It comes from above. It comes from above. And when we think particularly of Christ and this this idea of good coming down from God, this idea of of gifts coming down from God, we think particularly of Christ. Titus 3 verse 4 calls Christ the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior has appeared. Speaking of Christ there. The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior has appeared. Not just that He is good, Jesus is good, and He he is loving and He's kind. He is the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior. Has appeared. Where? From above, as John the Baptist just said from before. He is who from above is above all. God sent good down in Christ. Do you believe that? God sent eternal good down in Christ. But also, Romans 5 verse 16, here speaks of a gift. It says, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man. And this is speaking of Adam. The free gift, Jesus, is not like the result of that one man, Adam's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. That's Adam's trespass. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And so here we have a free gift. And what's this free gift? Justification. You're declared righteous in God's sight through Christ. By his perfect obedience and by his death on the cross. 
But not only Christ is a good gift, but the Spirit too. In Luke 11, if you remember, where it speaks about how Jesus is speaking to, to those who, who is arguing an, an argument from the lesser to the greater. And he says, he's speaking about the goodness of God. And he says, if you who are earthly and sinful know how to give good gifts, that's the same idea here, good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here, if we have good gifts that we give and we're sinful, we give them to others or to our children, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so here we have the good gift of Christ down from above. And the gift that even Christ Himself pointed to was the gift of the Holy Spirit who came down from above in Acts 2. So all these truths about God as the source of all good and every good and every perfect gift should cause us to thank God and to praise God daily and many times in the day because it all comes from His sovereign, good and loving hand. And we must always give more thanks to God than we give to ourselves and more thanks to God than we even give to others that we should thank others. But also, we should see both the desire of God in giving and the gifts themselves. And so every time that you receive something good, thank God for it. But don't just recognize the gift. Recognize the love of God. Recognize the goodness of God in His giving of the gifts. So not only, as James is saying, not only don't blame God for your sin, do the opposite. Thank God. For every good and every perfect gift. Ephesians 5 verse 20. Always give thanks for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. What gifts has our passage mentioned so far? Well, as we looked in the, in the children's talk, trials. Trials that test our faith. Why are they good? Because they strengthen our faith. They show it to be genuine. They spur us on. They grow us in maturity. So that we would endure to the end. Well, we've seen as well wisdom from God. That's certainly a good gift. Wisdom so that we may know how we are to please God. We may walk in the fear of the Lord and please Him in how we suffer and indeed in every area of life. But also we're to thank God for our high position. Our, the honour God gives us as His children and the inheritance that we have in Christ our high position in Christ. We're seated with Him, the Bible says, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the crown of life, it says to those who love God and those who endure to the end. There's so many good things that we thank the Lord for and we should always be thanking Him for. And this is why the, the Puritans, and this is why this tradition started in America, the Puritans started the... The, the, this Thanksgiving festival. That's why they had this, this whole day where they would set it aside to give God thanks for all that He'd given them in all their crops and, and everything. And so we should not just have one day, though that is a good thing. We should be thanking Him all the time, giving thanks always in Christ Jesus. So James reminds us that God is not only not the author of evil, but no, He's the author of all good that his people possess. John Calvin said this. He said, This passage teaches us that we ought to be so affected by God's innumerable blessings, which we daily receive from his hand, as to think of nothing but his glory, and that we should abhor whatever comes to our mind or is suggested by others, which is not compatible with his praise. We should, we should abhor, we should hate the idea of not giving God praise. For everything good. We should hate the idea of, of someone else getting all the glory and God getting nothing. But what else does James highlight to reinforce God as the giver of every good and every perfect gift? Have a look with me at the verse here. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What's the first of these? The Father of the heavenly lights. Well, we see that God here is the creator. It's a bit of an obscure phrase, maybe you've never heard before, the Father of Lights. Father of Lights. Now the translator here has added the word heavenly to bring out the meaning, though it's 
not originally there, but it brings out the meaning. And it means this, God is the creator of the lights in the sky. Indeed, he's the creator of all things. But he is the creator here of the great lights in the sky. Genesis 1, verses 14 to 16 says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. So God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and also the stars. Why does James make this point? Why does he add this in here? It seems a bit strange to add in the father of lights. Because if you read the rest of Scripture, you see that because you see this connection between God as creator and God who cares for his creation. If you go home and you read Psalm 104, you will see this over many verses. God is creator and he cares for his creation. So why does James bring this out here? The father of lights or the father of the heavenly lights? Because if God is the creator, he will care for his creation. And an argument from the lesser to the greater, if he cares for his creation, how much more does he care for you? Not just as one whom he created, but also whom he redeemed as well. He is both able and willing. So we have this idea that he cares for his creation, but if he's creator, he can actually give us every good and perfect gift. Have you ever thought about that? In the Psalms it says... Our eyes look to the hills from where does our help come from? Our help comes from God. Is that it? No. Yes, God. But it says the maker of heaven and earth. So it ties in this idea of God as the maker and the creator and, and his ability to help. So not only do you have God as, as willing because he cares for his creation, but he's able to help because he is creator. That's why James brings this out here. But also, James makes a contrast between these heavenly lights and God himself, as it says here, Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. The thing is, with these heavenly lights, they change. We see that every time when it gets to five, six, seven o'clock at night, do we not? Suddenly it's a little bit less light than before. We have a little bit less light than before. We have to flick on our lights in our, in our rooms and but they have different movements and they have different rotations and they, they change and days get longer and days get shorter. We have daylight saving. That's something invented by us. But it's in order to make up for all these changes that we have. Is it not? And it would be a bit strange for us if the sun shone in the night and the moon shone in the day. It wouldn't make sense, would it? And we probably wouldn't be able to call it day and night anymore. It'd have to be the other way around. But do you see what I mean? See what James is talking about here? They change. They change. But God doesn't. He doesn't change. It says here, He does not change like the shifting shadows. Or it could be translated, In Him there is no variation or shadow due to change. There's no variation in God and no shadow due to change. Even your own shadow in the daytime changes. When the sun's over here, your shadow's there. When the sun's above, you don't really have much of a shadow. And when the sun's over there, suddenly your, your shadow changes. Our shadow gets longer and bigger, right? And longer and shorter and everything else. We don't change, our shadows do. But unlike the shifting shadows that we have, unlike the, the movements and changes of all the heavenly lights, God doesn't change. He doesn't fluctuate. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, For I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Why did he not wipe Israel off the face of the earth? Because he doesn't change. He's always good to his people. He always keeps his covenant promises of good to his people, even despite their sin. 1 John 1 verse 5 says, we get this idea of light again. And this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. None. 
God is light, totally unlike every other light we have in this universe. If the universe weren't long enough, our sun would go out eventually. I don't think it will happen from Scripture, but if it, let's just say it did, our light would go out. Stars go out. Our light's in here. One day we're going to have to change these bulbs. They seem to go on for a long time, do they not? We forget about it, don't we? We've got lights in our homes that we just, we, we forget that we're going to have to replace them one day and eventually they just stop working. We go, oh man. We go over to the drawer, we take out a bulb and we replace it, right? Why? Because they don't last. They don't last. They're not reliable. Sometimes they, maybe they flicker a little bit and you look at the light and you, you feel like your eyes have played a trick on you and, and it doesn't change again. They, they flicker. They don't last. But God isn't like that. There's no shadow of turning in God. There's no variation. He cannot be modified. He doesn't switch plans. He doesn't check his options. He doesn't need refining, remodeling or correction. He doesn't mutate. He doesn't evolve. There's no change in God. God doesn't change. No, he's dependable. He's reliable. He always comes through. He's always true to his word. He can be counted on. He's steady. He's like a rock. He's stable and secure. He's not going to be good one day to you and not good the next day. He's not going to tempt you to sin one day and then turn his face the other way and, and, and smile at you. He's not going to do that. He's not going to stop giving you every good and perfect gift. And that's what James is getting at here. Not only is the God of creator of all things and not only able and willing to give you every good and every perfect gift, but he's unchanging in that. He cannot possibly stop at giving you every good and perfect gift. In Psalm 136, which Anthony read out for us at the beginning, we're going to see this contrast again here. It says, To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness endures forever. All the things God created, but it comes back to this, that his steadfast love or his loving kindness endures forever and ever and ever. Depend on God and his goodness. In times of trials, when you may be tempted to, be, to despair, you need to depend on God and his goodness. You need to depend on God because he doesn't change. We do. Our circumstances change. God doesn't. And he will give you every good and perfect gift. In times of temptation, no matter, no matter how much you are tempted, like Adam was, to, to blame God, don't blame God. Praise God, even in the midst of suffering and even in the midst of sin that you have, let God be true, though every man be a liar, as the scripture says. Depend on God and his goodness. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Do you doubt God's goodness? Do you doubt God's goodness in times of trials or temptation? Do you doubt that he's good to you, even in those times when you, when you, even when you're in the hardest of times, and they're not easy, they're hard. Do you doubt God's goodness? Because if you do, that's sin. That's sin. I'm not saying it's easy, brethren, but that's sin, and you need to repent of that. Because you're focusing more on your trial than you are on God. You've lost sight of God and his character. Though his hand may seem to be against you, his heart is always for you. And truly, his, his hand is never against us, though it may seem to be at times. He is good all the time. Because if you're doubting God's goodness, you need to repent and remind yourself of his goodness. Or maybe you just forget his goodness. Maybe it's like the Israelites... In the wilderness. And, and aside from the fact that they were, they were wandering and, and 
and they were, they were focusing on their wandering. They were focusing on the fact that they, you know, they didn't have the leeks and the vegetables of Egypt. Uh, and, and they, you know, even when um, they're wandering and their, and their sandals aren't wearing out and their clothes aren't wearing out, they have, they have food constantly provided for them. They don't really have to do much work except pick it up. Right? And God's giving them water out of a rock in a place where other nations would probably starve and die and, and, and die of thirst. And not only had God saved them, I mean, I mean, aside from the fact God had saved them out of slavery in hard bondage to the Egyptians, and aside from the fact that God was taking them to a promised land flowing with milk and honey, aside from all those things, they forgot God's goodness. Why? Because they thought only about their present circumstances wandering in the wilderness. And in fact, part of that length of that... Well, that length of wandering was because of their sin. And yet God was still good to them in all that time. God was still good to them in all that time. They forgot God's past goodness in rescuing them out of Egypt. And indeed, goodness to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They forgot God's present goodness to them. And they forgot that God had promised future goodness to them. Brethren, do not forget God's goodness to you in the past, in the present and in the future to come. Because when you remind yourselves of all this goodness of God, you would not be tempted to doubt God's goodness. When was the last time you meditated on God's goodness? When was the last time you just sat there with the Word of God or even without the Word of God and you just meditated on God's goodness? I don't enough. But when was also the time when you meditated on God's goodness particularly in the fact that he's unchanging in his goodness to you. Have you thought about that? The fact that God doesn't change in his goodness to you? Meditate, brethren, on these things and you will not be lost for praise. Well, what's the specific way that God is good to us? Well, have a look at verse 18. God is good to us as the giver of spiritual life. And we're going to be talking about regeneration or the new birth here in verse 18. Have a look in verse 18. <clears throat> verse 18. He, that's God, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Now, this is a different kind of birth as we saw just before in verse 15. Have a look with your eyes up at verse 15. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We got two offspring in verse 15 that are bad. Bad, right? That you don't want. Why? Because it comes from our own sinful lusts, right? What do we have? Sinful action and death. Well, we've got a good birth here in verse 18. But we've got these two family lines. And both these offspring and these family lines, right? There's one you want, as I said, and there's one you don't want. But they're both cut from the same cloth, as the expression goes. They're all, they all bear the family resemblance of that line. Again, sinful lusts lead, for, lead to sinful actions or, or words, and that leads to death forever in hell. But we see a different in verse 18, and praise God for this, because if we didn't have this, all we would have is verse 15. Verse 18, we see here another family line. God's desire, can you see how it's in contrast to our sinful desires? God's desire leads to the work of new birth, and that leads to us being new creations, right? There's life there instead of death. Now, what is the new birth? This doctrine of, of new birth, or you may have heard regeneration. Now, regeneration or the new birth or being born again or born from above is an implanting by God, by the Holy Spirit, of spiritual life into the heart of a dead sinner, spiritually dead sinner. And it affects the whole person, the mind, the affections or the or desires and the will. Let me say that again. It's the implanting of, of spiritual life into the heart of a dead sinner by the Holy Spirit so that the mind, the affections, and the will are all changed. How are they changed? Well, the mind 
is convicted of its own sin and misery. And maybe you've noticed that when people come to Christ. Suddenly they are aware of their sin and its heinousness before God. Right? So that's, the mind is convicted by, of its own sin and misery. It's enlightened to understand the truths about Christ and assent to the truths about, about Christ. Right? The gospel, the knowledge of Christ and the gospel. And then the will is renewed. It's, getting quite, it's technical, but when you understand it, it's a beautiful truth. The will is renewed to come to Christ. You want to lay hold of Christ. You trust in Christ. And this is what it means to be called by God. This is what it is. Your mind, your affections and your will are changed so that you understand your own sin. You understand the truths of the gospel. And then you come to Christ in faith. You come to Christ in repentance and faith. And you trust in Him. Have a look with me. Verse 18. I want you first to see the source of this new birth. The source of the new birth. It says, He chose. Stop right there. He chose. God chose. It says He chose to give us birth. And this word chose is God's will or desire or purpose. You had no hand in your new birth. Let me say that again. You had no part to play in your new birth. It's all of God. What part did you have to pay in your physical birth? Nothing. None of it. Zilch. When you came out of the womb, did you say, I did it all? No. Even now, however many years later, did you go, oh, I'm so glad that I did all the work in, in giving birth to myself? No. You did nothing. You had no hand in your physical birth. And in the same way, you had no hand in your spiritual birth, your new birth. It's from above. And this is, one of the, this is the gift, one of the gifts that James is talking about from verse 17. This is a good and perfect gift. It's from God by His Spirit. And God wasn't moved to do it because of any worthiness in you or any merit in you. God chose out of His sheer good pleasure out of his love. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, God has saved us and called us. And that calling is the, the new birth and conversion which results. And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. God's calling of us, this new birth, is according to his purpose, not according to our own works. Now, there's a teaching out there that says that when we believe, then we're born again. That's nonsense, according to the Bible. It's nonsense. John 3 verse 3 says that no one can see or enter the kingdom unless they're born again. So even if you wanted to see the kingdom, you couldn't unless you're born again by God. Even if you wanted to enter the kingdom, you couldn't unless you're born again. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. It's essential in order for you to believe. You are blind until the Spirit opens your eyes. We give praise to God for our physical birth. Brethren, give praise to God for your spiritual birth. When was the last time you ever praised God for your new birth? For being born again? We often praise God, and we should, and it's good. We praise God for giving us eternal life in Christ. But praise God for the work of the Holy Spirit in your own heart that enabled you to come to Christ so that you would even have that eternal life. Praise God for your spiritual birth too. John 1.13 says, Those who believe in His name, in Jesus' name, were born, not of blood. Right, it's talking about your lineage. You're not a Christian because your parents were. We're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, i.e. your sinful will. You're not born because, you, because all you have is a sinful will. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. No one else can decide for you. No one else can give you new birth, it says. 
Those who believe in his name were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Praise God for it. But what's the means? That's the source of a new birth. What are the means? What is the means of the new birth? Well, it says next, through the word of truth. Through the word of truth. And this is the means by which God gives new birth to dead, the, the, the hearts of dead sinners. He gives them new birth. How does he do it? Through the word of God. And particularly the gospel. About Christ and who he is and what he's done. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him, that's in him being Christ, you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That word of truth is the gospel. The gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he came down from above. How he lived a perfectly righteous and holy life before God. How he kept the law in every regard in your place. He died upon a cross, suffering under the curse of God for sinners, for their sin. He was crushed by God. And he offered a perfect payment for that sin. And then he rose again victorious over death and God declared him to be his son in power through the Holy Spirit and he, Christ ascended on high and he's Lord over all and he will come again to judge the living and the dead these are the truths of salvation, this is the word of truth by which people are born again the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and he uses it as an instrument of our new birth. And he takes the word when it is read and when it is preached. And particularly when it is preached, Romans 10 says, and he gives new birth to hearts. God brings life and beauty out of deadness and sin by his spirit and by his word. All our sinful desires do is they bring ruin and misery and death. Can you see this contrast here? Why we should mourn over our sin and why we should rejoice in the new birth? Every good and every perfect gift is from above. And brethren, this is a, a precious gift that God has given us. What's the fruit of the new birth? What's the results of the new birth? Have a look with me. Last part of verse 18. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created as Paul read out from us for us before from Deuteronomy 26 it was a, a passage that maybe you didn't see the connection first off but it was a, a passage that's all about the first fruits of the harvest right and these were the fruits that or the fruit that would or the, or the harvest that would come first and often it was the best but it's 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 like when you have a plant right and it starts to bear let's say it's a lemon tree it bears one lemon we often leave it because we go, oh, you know, we just want to see it bear more fruit and we don't want to give it away just yet. When it starts to bear lots of fruit, maybe we'll give it away. No, but it's like you take that first fruit off and then another one pops and you give the, you know, the, the, that first fruit and you give it to God. And guess what? If no fruit comes after that, you get no fruit. Simple as that. But guess what? You've given it to God. And that's what the Israelites were to do. They would trust God that they would give him the first and the best and they would entrust to him the rest of the harvest. They didn't just give God the dregs at the end and go, oh, we've had a great harvest, oh, let's give him the little bit at the end. You know, the gleanings just at the end that the poor people picked up. No, they gave him the first and the best, the first fruits, as a sign that they were trusting God for the harvest to come. This was an act of faith that God would keep his promise to bless them. And they would set it apart as an act of worship to God. It was special. And when it says that we might, so that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created, what does it mean? That we're set apart, when we're born again, we're set apart to God. We're special. We're unique. We're his own possession to God. We're holy to God. Regeneration, if you like, stamps this mark of holiness. 
It stamps this family image upon us. That we're set apart to God. We're set apart unto Him who gives us that new birth. Revelation 14 verse 4 said, These have been, speaking of believers, these have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. Jeremiah 2 verse 3 says, Israel was holy to Yahweh, the first of his harvest, or the firstfruits of his harvest. All who ate of it, that's speaking about those who oppressed Israel, all who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon them. Why? Because they were, Israel was God's first fruits. They were holy. They were special to him. God cared for them. And so when it says that you are God's first fruits because of your new birth, it means that you're special. You're set apart to God as his unique possession. But also, what are, what are the first fruits? What were they an indication of? They were an indication of the harvest to come. And so when we see the new birth, when we praise God for the new birth in our own hearts, it's the first evidence and foretaste of the new creation that is to come. That's what the new birth points to. It points to the, the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth that is to come. There is more to come. It's a sign that points forward. Romans 8 says, For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. I'm talking about when Christ comes again. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, speaking of God, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, what's that saying is, is that at the moment the creation is subjected to futility because of sin. But one day when the sons of God are revealed free from sin, from any presence of sin, so the creation will be freed from its bondage to corruption. We'll have a new heavens and a new earth. And that's what the new birth points to. We're freed in the new birth. We're freed from the power of sin. We're freed from the guilt of sin. And it points to when we will be freed from the presence of sin. So when you come to prayer to God today, and particularly on the Lord's Day, when we worship God in one sense even more corporately and and we should come to God even more on the Lord's Day, as it were, to thank God for His goodness for the week that we've just had and to commit to the Lord the week that we will now have. Thank God for His goodness to you in every way. See His heart, as I was saying before. See His intention and desire in the giving and see the good gifts too. See the good gifts that He's given you in Christ Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. See the good gifts in the trials that he's brought you through and the temptations that he's rescued you from. The wisdom that he's given you. And the crown of life that he will give you because he will help you endure to the end. Praise God for all these good things. Praise God for the new birth that he's given life to your dead soul, your rebellious soul. He's beautifully changed it to be one that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, one that fears Him, gives God all the glory. Praise God for your new birth and praise God that this new birth points you to the, the new heavens, the new earth that will come. Praise God and thank God that you are the first fruits of all that He's created. Of all that he's created, God chose you to be his first fruits. Don't stop marveling, brethren. But for those here who are unsaved, who have not been born again, Christ's words are to you, you must be born again. You cannot rely on your family lineage. You cannot rely on your background or ethnicity. You cannot rely on your good works. You cannot rely on anything you've done in the past. You cannot rely on anything that you've, you've tried to give God. No one can give God, the scriptures say, a gift to God that he might be repaid. We can't repay God for anything. Stop striving to give yourself life by your own means. It comes from God. It's by the Spirit. All you must do is repent and believe. Stop trying to give yourself life. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you will be saved. But keep, keep searching the Scriptures. Keep sitting under the preaching of the Word. Because as we've seen in our passage, that's how God works. That's how God gives new birth. Use the means that God has promised to give new birth. But for your part, you can't give yourself new life. You must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will save you. He will give you eternal life. He will free you from the guilt and power of sin. And He will one day free you from the presence of all sin forever. Praise God for His goodness. Let's pray. Precious God, you are good. You are the source of every good and every perfect gift. It comes down from you above in heaven to us here on earth. We thank you that you are so unlike us in that we change and we shift. And the, even the, the lights, the sun and the moon, they change and they shift. But you do not. Your steadfast love endures forever. We thank you that you have given us new birth by your Spirit. You have given us life in our hearts that we might be saved. We might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we might be saved. Oh, precious God, may we never stop giving you thanks in Christ Jesus. May we always have hearts and lips that praise you and thank you for all the good you've lavished on us all our days. All the good you're giving, you are giving us now and all the good you will give us in all the ages to come, indeed for all eternity. Oh, precious God, help us to taste and see that you are good. And precious Lord, for those here who do not know you, we pray, precious Lord, give them new life by your Spirit. Give their hearts new life. Give them a not just a physical birth that, they have, that we've all had in here, but give them a spiritual birth, a new birth by your Spirit. Draw them to Christ. Give them a new mind, a new, new affections and a new will that they might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they might be saved. Oh, precious God, may they see you are good. May they see the goodness and grace that is to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. May they see that there's only evil in their sin, and there is the only goodness in Christ. And may they turn from their sin and trust in Him. Oh, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.